another edition of the Sunday Forum right here on WMNF 88.5 Tampa, Sarasota, St. Pete. This is your host, the voice of the Tampa Bay area, Walter L. Smith II, along with the members of the 4th Estate crew. I'm going to start with Mabili first. I'm going to say the best for last. Hey, Mabili. Good morning. How you doing, man? Pretty good. I don't have any classified documents. Damn. I didn't send any balloons. Damn. <laughs> so I'm good. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Come on, Billy. You got to have something. I got nothing. Nothing <laughs> at all? No, but it is. Not even a paperclip, dude. <laughs> Not even a paperclip. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Uh, <laughs> hello. How are good you doing, Ms. Rodriguez? I'm doing all right. Yeah. It's been, we had at Tampa Bay CDC, we had an event yesterday, and in the comments, we're getting called paid actors. Mm-hmm. Um, little liberal girls, uh, females, you know, just the list goes on and on in the comments. So, was, so just dealing with that this morning, but. but you say not, dealing with it. Were you out there causing trouble? Uh, as always. Okay, as all right. That's, that's, all <laughs> that's all I want to hear. That's it. That's it. That's it. You're good. You're good. You good? And last but not least. Morning. Go. Good morning. morning. How are you? 
Lady Miko, how you doing? I'm sick, but I'm good. You're sick? Mm-hmm. I told you not to come up in here sick. I'm wearing a mask. <laughs> right? But but wait, but wait, 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 wait. Okay, so everybody, listen. Here's the deal. Um, today is a bittersweet day for us here in the Sunday Forum as a member of the Fourth Estate crew is... We're celebrating her last day. We're celebrating it. Thank you, Mabili. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes, we're celebrating it. Lady Yamiko <coughs> is having her last day with us today. Yes. Yeah, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I was offered, so I had a, I got a job in at a commercial radio station back in October and uh, I was only working there one day a week, and then I was just offered to do Sundays around this time. And uh, yeah, I couldn't pass up the opportunity. And uh, but yeah, I mean it's bittersweet because I've joined this show at 31. <coughs> I was 31 when I joined. Now I'm 36. So I mean, five almost six years on the show, seven at the radio station. It's been. Uh, Heck of a ride. Uh, started out as an intern, then got on Live Music Showcase with Mark, and then just moved around. Then Alvaro met Alvaro. He turned me, then brought he, me on. He, he turned me. <laughs> no, he, like tra- he, he trained. Oh, okay. trained. I was about to say he trained. turned you like you were a vampire. No, 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 no. He trained me. <laughs> trained me on the board, and then brought me on here to spend. We, uh, we are unique individuals here. But, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's been a, yeah, and I just want to thank everybody, you know, for this incredible journey. And, uh, you know, thank Alvaro, thank Mark, thank you, Walter, Mobili, Laura. <laughs> you know, just, just uh, it's been, yeah, it's been an interesting ride. But I'm, I'm not gone, gone. I mean, I'm going to always be a volunteer here. But, um, and if something were to change, like if the time changes, I can come back. But, uh yeah, it's a uh, thank you for five amazing years on this show and then seven at this station. So, well, hey, listen, let me just say this um, you are always a member of the Fourth Estate Crew. Thank you. Always going to be a member of the Fourth Estate Crew. Your loyalty has always been appreciated, your passion has always been appreciated, your passion for radio thank you. Uh, is noted. Thanks. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we will always be here for you. Thank you. All right? Mm-hmm. And we love you. Thank you. All right. Love you guys, too. <laughs> All right. Don't start crying. We've got a whole show to do. We cry later on. We cry later on. All right. So, Ms. Rodriguez, mm-hmm. what we have? What we have? What do you mean, what we have? It's your segment. This is the Black History Month segment. Come on, sister. Let's I know, go. I know, I know, I know. Uh, just messing with you. So today I'm going to do a little segment on, uh, you know, personal profile on a black uh, history for or for Black History Month. And today I'm going to talk about Frank Chapman. Uh, just a little bit of, about Frank before I get into what I've been working on. Um, he's a prisoner turned activist involved in the Free Angela Davis campaign and is the current uh, executive director of the National Alliance Against Racism and Political Repression. And he's currently leading a campaign to democratize police in the Chicago in Chicago through ECPS. So Frank Chapman is a man who made black history, makes black history, and will continue to make black history. 
This man is a teacher, an organizer, a long-time inmate, and a jailhouse lawyer. An intellectual, a writer, and most importantly, he's a class-conscious freedom fighter. In the words of Angela Davis, Frank Chapman shows us the power of political engagement so profound that it has the power to save many lives, including his own. Frank is... Um, was, or was born in Kansas City, Missouri, in, uh, or not Kansas City, but St. Louis, Missouri, <laughs> in September of 1942. He comes from Ethiopian, Irish, Native American, and West African uh, heritage, and l life in 1942 and <laughs> through that time was rough. You were you played the cards that you were dealt, you know? Yeah. And as a 10-year-old, he would often skip school and be arrested, like 10 years old, being arrested. Um, in 1943, he was put into reform school for about 16 months, where he tried to escape about 47 times. Good God. And that's at 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, or no, that was at 10. And at 13, he's, <laughs> one time, it, in his book, he talks about how he stole a car, wrecked it, got put in a, a correctional facility called Boonville, where fights with guards and with other students like kids were on the regular so you had 14 year olds 13 year olds like fist fighting every day every day and was this in missouri as well this was in missouri okay All right. yeah, yeah yeah we're still in missouri here and you know when he got out of the um boonville he was 14 six feet tall his nickname was string brain <laughs> so you can imagine he was a little <laughs> little skin skinty um, and he was able to go back into a nice school because his grades beforehand were really good. Yes, he was back and forth out in the streets, but like he was a smart kid. And um, he made his way to Chicago, and from there he kind of got up, like I said before, you play with the cards that you're dealt. So a lot of the times for money and to survive, to quite literally have a roof over his head, you know, you had to hustle sometimes. You got to do things that people don't consider morally right and you know this is also during the time where um communities in chicago and missouri were pumped full of drugs and um things that weren't <laughs> helpful so they had to um, sell drugs by the way had to sell drugs mm -hmm. to get, yeah okay and um he got caught up in something and uh, essentially was charged of a crime that he was involved with but did not commit himself and in 1961, with the advice of a lawyer and a will to live, um, Frank pleaded guilty to avoid the death penalty. And he was sentenced to a life and 50 years in prison. And this is... Like, who does that? Life and, life and 50, 50 years. years. Dang. And That's absurd. I know. And it's, you know, for... And this was the regular. This happened to many, many people. Oh, and, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. he's so lucky to not only sur to like survive and live to see through this because he's still alive today. And um, during this time in prison that he spent, he was spent a lot of time working on not only his case, but working with other in inmates' cases, learning about the law, helping himself and helping others. And this was also the time that the um, Black Panthers were starting to get locked up. So he got real political. Um, he started reading, um, oh, I f oh, the name has slipped my mind, but he essentially became politicalized and radicalized while in prison because what else do you have to do? There's so much of your time is spent either being beaten up by guards, being beaten up by other inmates. The time you spent to yourself is trying to 
fill your mind with something because staring at a blank wall every day is not good for the mind. It's not good for the soul. It's not good for the person. Right. And um, he was mm-hmm. able to kind of defend himself while in prison, get a retrial, and he got out. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Okay. So he did get out. He did get out. Okay. He did get out. And that's when he like started to get political. He was organizing with, I believe, the Black Panthers for some time. And then that was risky. (laughs) That was risky. I mean, because if you recall, and I'm sorry, sorry to say, Mm -hmm. but but if you recall, um, Angela Davis got the death. She she was sentenced to death. Right. I mean. And she didn't kill anybody. Mm-hmm. She was sentenced to death because she the the accusation was that she provided arms to the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. But still, and that's where the National Alliance Against Political Racism or our the National Alliance Against Racism and Political Oppression comes from because they were formed to help free Angela Davis, mm-hmm. and Frank Chapman took a part in that, which he now leads, which is crazy. Um, so a lot of thi- a lot of personal stuff happens. He talks about it in his first book called "The Damn Don't Cry: Pages from the Life of a Black Prisoner and an Organizer." Wow! And it talks about his um, issues with uh, sub or his um, dealings with substance abuse, just going through life, um, and his time in prison, what he learned, and then it talks about what he did to better himself and better his community, um, and. Today, he is a part of the not only the National Alliance, uh, but also the um, Chicago chapter of, it's called CARPER, Chicago Alliance Against Nas- uh, Racism and National Oppression. And he was one of the leading forces uh, after the murder of Daquan McDonald. Um, and he's someone who com- ad- advocates for community control. He's someone that knows what's good for his community because he's been through it. He's spent the time. He's been falsely accused. He's mm-hmm. helped other people like Anthony Gray, who spent 22 years in solitary confinement fight, or like and fight for justice. Um, so, yeah, that's Frank Chapman. And if you want to hear him talk, he's going to be at, not going to be there because he is an elder. So <coughs> it's hard for him to travel. So he'll zoom in. Um, How old is he? 70, 80, yeah, yeah, yeah something like 80, that. Right, right, he has to be about 80. That's, that is a very uh, uh, interesting story, extremely interesting story. What is what is very interesting about it is the amount of time that he spent in prison and how he has been able to uh, survive, period. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the fact that he survived that is extraordinary. Extraordinary. I mean, because you're talking about a man who. I- imagine Malcolm X, right? Who was in prison, put in prison in 1945, around 45 or 47. <laughs> and then he is brought he is brought out of prison after having spent what five, six years? Mm-hmm. Um this man didn't get out until much later. He went in about the same time that Malcolm went in. So he so he's going out, coming out, my God, well after the seventies. So, you know, his whole 
being able to uh, to come back into society after being institutionalized by the prison system is something and, and a racist prison system. Mm-hmm. I might add one one that was literally designed to keep us in. That is incredible. That is incredible. And uh, if, if you will, say, repeat his name again. Frank Chapman. Frank Chapman, folks. Frank Chapman. You must remember that name. Please research, learn more about this man. And if there's, there's more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, there's um, more. So you she, can... she can't tell. <laughs> she, she can't help it. She wants so to tell us more. Go ahead. Um, so you can hear Frank Chapman speak at a Black History Month event at... Tomorrow, 7 p.m. at the North Tampa Branch Library. Um, he'll be Zooming in, and you can also hear Tampa's very own Miss Connie Burton and a couple other community groups uh, speak about yes. issues of uh, <laughs> racism and um, imperialism and all those things. And I do have a minute clip of Frank Chapman himself speaking. Oh, you do? Yes. Okay, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Do you mind if I, I can just play it outside? Mm, yeah, sure. You got it? Do you have it linked in to the to the court? Do we have it linked in? So let's I tell you what, let's give it time. Let's give gotcha. it some time. Let's um figure out Mobili. Yeah. Let's figure out how we can link it in. Same. And then we'll we'll do it after the break. Okay. Okay? After NPR. We'll sure. come back and yeah, talk about it. Okay. So folks, listen, we're gonna listen to the voice of Frank Chapman uh right here on the Sunday forum after the NPR break at nine. Okay, uh, please tune in uh, to listen and hear the voice of Brother Frank Chapman, um, a real revolutionary, um, a, a real figure in Black history. Certainly, and, and, and in this in this day and time, I think it's critical that we that we hear voices like this, that we're we're interviewing people like these, so that we can learn more about how they were radicalized, so to speak, um, mobilized and organized to move, organized to be mobilized. I think that's that's very, very important uh, in this day and age with all the different things that are happening around us in our communities here uh, throughout the United States and, and really throughout the world. When we look at, at, at that, uh, we're looking at uh, a man basically who... For all intents and purposes, I mean, he went in for, for he went in for a crime, right? I mean, it's textbook situation. He went in for a crime that we don't even know if he committed it, and he didn't commit, right? Yeah. And wow, he spent the majority of his life in prison. Mm-hmm. The majority of his life was spent in prison. And the beauty part of it is that it politicized him; it didn't break him. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That is the beautiful part of it all. And so um, we, we commemorate and we, uh, we remember and we celebrate Frank Chapman. Definitely celebrate him. Definitely celebrate him. Hey, listen, folks. We have a lot going on today. A lot going on today. Okay, so this is Black History Month, right? Last week we had Brother Frank Crum um, uh, come in from the city of Tampa. And Frank is a, is a really good friend of ours. Uh, he's been in many, many times. We 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 celebrate the work that Frank does 
with the city. He does an outstanding job. And we have someone in-house with us right now that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes um, that has certainly come into contact with Frank many, many times. Um, but we, we want to talk about what's happening today in the coming weeks. It's a countdown. Today, Mabili. Mabili? Yes. After our after our activities uh, with Yumiko today, we have a play to go to. A play? Yes. yes. We got to go down the yellow brick road. We got to ease on down. Oh, the whiz. Ease. Yeah, the whiz, man. The whiz. The whiz. The whiz. At, 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 five, at 3 o'clock today, 3 o'clock today, uh, you go to the Florida Theater, the Tampa Theater, excuse me, Tampa Theater, and you'll check out The Whiz, starring Michael Jackson and Dinah Ross. Check it out. Check it out. Uh, it's one of the greatest movies and musicals I've ever uh, scene. I remember being a kid and going to the opening day. That was awesome. I remember actually having the album. I actually, I actually have the album at home. Okay. I bought it. It's authentic. I bought it then. My parents bought it for me. Because I loved it so much. Now, on next weekend, <laughs> next weekend, uh, also at 3 p.m. Sunday, at the Tampa Theater, you have To Sleep With Anger. To Sleep With Anger. That is a uh, a great film starring none other than Mr. Danny Glover. Seely, now I'm going to tell you, you cut me, I'll kill you. <laughs> not the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not the same movie, but I thought I'd put my Danny Glover voice on. You cut me, I'll kill you. So that's Danny Glover, To Sleep With Anger. All right? 3 p.m. next Sunday, next Sunday at the Tampa Theater. Also at 3 p.m., February 19th, on Sunday, we have Coming to America, starring Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Now, if everybody remembers, there was recently a release of Coming to America 2. Actually, that was very good. I was surprised. I was presently, presently surprised at the at the way that came out. They came out very... Did you see that? Didn't see it. Did you, anybody else see that? I'm the only one that saw it. Yep, think so. Jeez, man. You guys... Oh. <laughs> yeah, I only saw the first one. <clears throat> we got to work on these guys. We got to work on these. So. That's some pretty bad reviews, but yeah. Yeah, and it, it didn't is. look good to me. That's why I didn't look at it, so... <laughs> Sorry. Y'all killing me, man. You're killing me. We got to do this as a unit. The unit, guys. All right. So the next one, the 26th of February... 3 p.m., also at the Tampa Theater. Cabin in the Sky, starring Ethel Waters. Uh, Rock, oh, Rochester. Rochester and Lena Horn. Cabin in the Sky, right here at the Tampa Theater. Check it out. Listen, this is black love, black history, all being celebrated at the Tampa Theater. Come check it out, right here. All right? All right, and we'll be talking about it next week. We'll, we'll introduce each one of them as they come along. Uh, we also have uh, Love the Community. Love the Community is a um, is a culinary, uh, I guess, series that's going to be happening from now on, I guess. Uh, it's going to be held at 3407 East Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. That's 3407 East Dr. Martin Luther King Boulevard right here in Tampa. Um, this is called Love the Community, and it is a 
uh, culinary event. A culinary event. Check it out, please. Uh, you want to check it out by calling 813-766-4474. I don't know why I'm trying to act like I can see. Uh, that's 813-766-4474. I was right. That is a six. So the 766-4474. For more information, please check it out. Call, call that number and check it out, okay? It is being sponsored by Blue Sky Insurance. Blue Sky Insurance Solutions. Uh, Chris Asefa. We love you, darling. Thank you for being there for us. All right. So J.C. Javen's Culinary uh, Event. Check it out. Check it out. Okay. So. We have a lot to get out today and to talk about today, but before we do, before we do, we want to introduce Lynn, her tech. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks right. for having me. Glad to have you here. Glad to have you here. So, you know, Lynn, we've known each other a while, okay? Um, tell us about yourself. Tell everybody else about you right now. Okay, um, I'm a current city councilwoman in Tampa, District 3, citywide. Okay, all right. Uh, and uh, I've had this seat now for nine months. I've learned a lot in my brief time on council. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, looking uh, to add another four years to that. But um, my background is uh, I'm a former Title I elementary school teacher. I started doing that, um, worked as an aide and a sub at the same school, um, was a union representative for my school. So um, always uh, learned early the power of organizing. And uh, after that, uh, I, for the last 13 years, I have been working in international development. I work on um, U.S. Agency for International Development programs uh, overseas, mostly based in West Africa. I work um, with monitoring and evaluation, food security, and capacity building. So what I do is I'm a contractor. I will go and look at a project and that the U.S. government has funded to see, was it uh, did people use the money the way they were going? To, mm -hmm. Said they were going to use mm -hmm. the money. Mm -hmm. Did uh, was the program successful? Uh, what what things can we learn about it for future programming? What wasn't successful, and how might we change it for another program? Mm -hmm. So basically, just evaluation. And so I've been able to take both of those skills and bring them onto council, uh, being able to explain um, uh, large issues to folks. Um, my ability to, to work with others and uh, just just that ability to go into um, a city program and sort of evaluate it, see if it's working the way it should be. That's that's interesting. I did not know. That's a very interesting dimension um, to what you do, who you are, and its importance to the city of Tampa. Um, what what do you bring to the seat? Um, well, I, I bring that ability, to be honest, uh, the ability to actually look at different projects and programs, uh, break them down, see what I, uh, what's successful, what isn't. Um, I also bring, again, the ability to be able to, to explain things to folks. Uh, before I joined council, um, I was on the board of my neighborhood association. I uh, served as vice president for Old Seminole Heights Neighborhood Association for several years. Uh, so I... Understand There's so the neighborhood. Heights neighborhood. <laughs> there are. This one's old Seminole Heights. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> but yes, uh, <laughs> there are. There's a million Seminole Heights. But uh, 
So, so I, I understand neighborhood concerns. Uh, I worked on many different um, land use issues, water issues before I even joined council. Um, I also served on the city's charter review commission, which uh, evaluated the city's charter, which is basically its constitution. Mm-hmm. So we looked at that. Um, I served on that board along with um, current council members, Bill Carlson, uh, Joe Citro, and Orlando Goods. And so um, we have a real understanding of the charter. We know what the city council can and can't do. So we're a little more empowered that way. Right. Um, <clears throat> and then after that, uh, I served for two and a half years on the city's variance <clears throat> review board, which is a land use board um, making basic land use decisions. Um, and so all of that prepared me for council. So when I got into the seat, I was really able to just hop to it. Uh, I had I had enough of a background to really um, be able to. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's that's what I did. There is, there's a lot going on. Oh, yes. A lot going on. Um, we have the issues surrounding uh, Project Pure. Yes. Still, mm-hmm. even though it has been taken off, it's been dropped for now. Um, what was your feeling about that? If you don't mind telling us. Oh, no, I can I can absolutely tell you. Um, because I started working on this in old, when uh, I was a vice president of Old Seminole Heights. Uh, because most of that water... Um, basically, wh- what the city wants to do is take um, treated wastewater and put it into the aquifer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we absolutely have no idea what wastewater in the aquifer will do. Right. They're saying, hey, it'll be cleaned up when it goes through the aquifer to be pulled out to bring to the river. But we don't know that. Right. Um, and the reason I was active in that with Old Seminole Heights is the majority of the wells that were going to push this water into the aquifer and then pull it back out right. are located in Seminole Heights, right. um, where a good number of the community still have wells for their personal drinking water. Right. Um, I- I'm sure there are other areas of the city that also have that. I'm surprised at how, how many... People actually still have wells in Seminole Heights. Yeah. I'm very surprised. Yeah, so so it was a huge issue for us initially. So again, I was able to bring that education already into council. Um, so knowing the Sierra Club, the League of Women Voters, and the Friends of the River, who are the um, stakeholders that have been working with the city on this. But, you know, they weren't getting very far. Mm-hmm. So um, we... Uh, when I joined council, they, it was still something that they really wanted to talk about. Um, but as a council, we decided we didn't want to put any more money into it because I kid you not, we got a hundred emails a day or more from people saying, we do not want potty water to drink. Right, right. And then, and there's, you know, okay, so now, now full disclosure, right? Yours truly was on the advisory committee, right? With, along with... Some other folks that you know, mm-hmm. um, Phil Compton, mm-hmm. uh, Nancy Stevens, and so forth. Yep. Um, shout out to them for uh, being very diligent, and and that the organization for being very diligent with regard to this issue. And you know, um, quite frankly, we asked several times for there to be standards, treatment standards that were given to us that <laughs> that should have been given to us mm-hmm. in order for us to make an informed decision about how to move forward, or if it should move forward, right? Um, my engineer, my, my background is environmental engineering. Nancy's background is environmental engineering. Um, we all work with 
uh, environmental organizations and uh, and and actually uh, groups like the Blue Grab Group, which is headed by uh, Maya Trotz at USF, uh, who's doing we're doing tremendous work. I just came back recently from uh, Saint Croix, where we were working down there to look at the comparative studies from there to here. And with regard to nitrogen, the amount of nitrogen that's in the water, the excessive amount of nitrogen that's in our water here, um, that's led to uh, algae bloom issues, uh, the red tide issue. Oh yeah. Um, when you look at salt water on a larger scale, it, it, it was you know it was tremendous. I mean, it was astounding, truthfully. Uh, but dealing specifically with pure. Um, it is problematic when we cannot have or do not have uh, that type of information that we need uh, <laughs> to understand the dynamics of how water is treated, where it's placed, uh, not knowing when it is extracted again or pumped up again from the aquifer through the wells, what it's what the treatment standards would be exactly. or what they're treating for, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, some of those things aren't treated in regular water. Uh, you know, there, there's so many nuances to, the, to this thing that need to be brought out and put on the table. I don't think that there was enough transparency nope. with regard no. to that. And not sure why. Um, honestly, I'm not sure why either because it seems pretty simple. If you want people to believe in a system, you just you provide them all the information. Right. And, and you talk about it, uh, but that is not what's happening. Um, we actually did just approve a, uh, a pilot project called SIX that would take the um, treated wastewater and put it through yet another system. It's a, it's a six-month pilot that is, is being funded by the state of Florida. So we aren't paying for this pilot. And the idea would be to take the fully treated water and put it through yet another process to try to take out more the PFAS and PFOA, the plastic particles, and to take out more nutrients like nitrogen. Because if we can do that, we can then still uh, put it out into the bay where it can be beneficial. Right. I sit on the ta- um, the Tampa Bay Estuary Board as okay. part of my um, job on council. An issue there too. Well, yeah. there's th- that's where um, you know I learned about the seagrasses dying right. at the rapidest rate they they've been since um, in over twenty years, and that of course and. You know, most people have heard of that because of the manatees right. that are dying, and it, it, it all it all works together. And uh, like you said, we need to have a certain amount of fresh water that goes into the bay to um, combat the salinity that comes in from the Gulf. <clears throat> and if we take that water away, we're going to see a drastic change <clears throat> in the ecosystem of the bay. Yeah. But the reason that we're talking about this at all is because the Senate the state of Florida passed a bill called Senate Bill 64 that would require us to use this um, wastewater in a more beneficial way. But they're very vague about what beneficial way means, which is why this six project is very important. So we, um, if we're going to put this into the aquifer, uh, we, we absolutely A, have no idea 
what what would happen if it comes out. But but the preliminary numbers are it could be up to six billion dollars, not just right. to start it, but the, but the constant upkeep of it. Do you know why? We're having to do this. Do you know that um, that my opponent, Janet Cruz, voted for it twice in the Senate to make this happen? So we're having to do this because of my opponent. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So you you can guarantee that if she gets on council, she's going to approve this. Is it going to be some mobility? Yeah, I'm listening. Let's I mean, <laughs> Bring in transparency. I see some boxing gloves about to come on, too. <laughs> I see boxing gloves about to come on. Do, no, do you you I, feel, feel boxing gloves coming on, too? I, I hate A cage I, match, maybe? I'm just, I'm just being transparent right. and telling yeah. y'all the truth. That's it's, crazy. It is crazy, isn't it? It's wild. And it's, it's wildly unfortunate because the city, if you've noticed over the last few days on social media, um, the mayor did this big video about how pure is going to be great. And if you support clean water, you support pure and all these wonderful things. And here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with talking about clean water and what we're going to do. But just to say the way to do it is to pump it into the aquifer is not, is not, the, the public isn't, not isn't, no, no. And, and the public isn't fooled by it. it, it, it that's, that's a, do we have a, do we have a box? A what? Ready? What? Is the box ready? <laughs> oh, we don't have the, the, the box? Oh, yeah. oh, I was about to say, where is it? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, no worries. No worries. I, I, just, I just realized that our Facebook fans are not able to hear what's being said. Um, just, But that's okay. Sorry. We're, we need them to hear this part. We, yeah, yeah. We, need, we need them to hear this part right here. We really do. Well, uh, yeah, no, I mean, th- this is, it is such an important part of what's going on in the city. That's a lot of money. That's oh, a, it's a, a ton of money. Load of money. So, so what I, what we, what I did when I heard about this, that we, they wanted more money to hire a third PR firm to try to tell people about. Stop. Uh, Stop. You no, say no, a third no. PR firm? Yeah, yes. The, yeah, yeah. So the water department had all these things because, you know, there were all these options. You know about it because you were a stakeholder. You yeah. were in that group. Yeah. So I, I said, stop. There's just too much going on here. So I got the water department to agree to not spend that money on that, but to step it all the way back. And again, this goes back to my ability as an elementary school teacher to to parse things down and to look at them from the the beginning. You can't do anything if you don't know where the baseline is. Mm -hmm. So what we're about to do on uh, February 23rd at a workshop is to find out what would happen if we just keep doing what we're doing, if we keep the status quo, if we keep just living the way we're living, how will that affect the... um, the outflow for from the um, wastewater into the bay. Mm-hmm. How will that affect the um, reservoir? What's what's in the reservoir, and how will, will that affect minimum flows for the Hillsborough River? Now we, you know, the state of Florida has seen this before. Mm-hmm. The, state, the state of Florida has seen it. And I say that because I, I worked with the water management district, two of them, in order to be able to make sure that the water that was flowing appropriately it was flowing appropriately to Lake Okeechobee, mm-hmm. um, because the water is coming from. The north of the state were kind of drying up, and we had a problem with feeding Okeechobee. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, and of course, we saw some salinity issues as a result of that. 
some encroachments. Mm-hmm. We're seeing encroachments now. We are. We are. But but the thing is, if we don't start at the very beginning, none of us are going to understand it. The public needs right. to understand this. Right. Public education is critical. And, and so if we're starting from there, then we can talk about salinity. That's the next step. But my next step, regardless, is going to be talking about conservation. Because that's something that's not being discussed at all. It is not. Now, let, let, let me, so I'm glad you said that. My question with regard to conservation is, what are the ramifications with regard to frontline communities, right? Uh, what are we looking at exactly? What, what are the, what are the, uh, we, we've seen, how can I put this? Okay. In, in black and brown communities. This discussion is atypical. This is not a typical conversation at our dinner tables or in our churches or anywhere else in our community. This right here is not discussed, okay? Um, Community meetings like what you're describing would be very much required, Mm -hmm. very much required. Absolutely. And there has to be someone that I think that's present in order to be able to break that down into digestible information, that the community can the community can, can understand and really really get the perception of what's actually happening and the the impacts on them. Absolutely, that's actually that's one of the the platforms I'm running on for many different things is education. Mm-hmm. We as a city could do much better teaching people. Um, another one of the uh, sustainability issues is garbage. We have to burn the majority of what people can recycle. I think it's at 80% now because people don't know how to recycle. That's not people's fault. That's our fault for not educating. You're not creating a culture of doing that. Yeah, but but we're not telling people how to do it. We're just giving them the recycle bin and just, and and we do, we have a little bit of um, social media. We have things like that, but we really have to go out into the community um, you know, there's trash all over the city. We don't do a good job of picking up trash, encouraging a cleaner community. Right. And that starts with us as the city getting out there and, and making it a priority for all of us to pick up more trash, to encourage people to do that, to put more waste bins around. It's, it can be often be hard to find a garbage can. Mm-hmm. And to not have it behind a paywall too, because a lot of like, when my, me and my roommates were moving, we had to pay to like $50 or so to get someone to take it to the dump because it's not something you can leave on the side of the road. And if you do, then you have code enforcement knocking at your door about to give you a fine. Exactly, exactly. There are some communities um, in this state that if you have large bulk items, they'll just come pick it up if you call them. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that here. We wait for one week a year and that's the only time you can throw that sort of stuff away. And that just doesn't work for this community anymore. If we want to combat trash, if we want to combat um, illegal dumping is another huge oh, issue. God. Not to go way off topic, but uh, something that, that uh, we discussed on council a couple of weeks ago is the fact that code enforcement now, it, it is no longer a nine to five Monday to Friday job. We need to figure out a way to get code enforcement out 24 seven to have evening shifts, to have folks that work weekends, because when does most of that illegal dumping happen? At night. At night and on the weekends. When are people doing unpermitted work? 
on the weekends, cutting down trees, doing things that, that, well, yeah, I mean, that's the time you do that. And, but all of that, and that, that comes with fines, that comes with fees. And again, educating people about what they can and can't do with code enforcement, um, I think would go a, a huge way to, to getting people not to get those fines to begin with. Right, right. Um, many of the people that are, put, that are forced into doing that kind of work are forced to do it on weekends because of costs regarding permitting. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that was an issue I knew when I ran um, back in 2018, 19. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when we talk about the, let's, let's, let's shift gears. Let's talk about something that, that um, is even more familiar to our communities here, and that is the relationship with law enforcement. Uh, we have a a big concern uh, with where law enforcement is shifting right now. We have a mayor who was the chief of police um, that has put a lot into law enforcement, a lot of focus and concentration into law enforcement. Um, and there have been some very bad decisions made regarding that, clearly. Uh, the the issue I think that we that we're faced with, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, okay? If, if you if because you see you might see something that I don't see from there, okay? Um, first of all, we look at the police. We know the police is not monolithic. Mm-hmm. However, the culture, the militaristic culture. The militaristic mindset, the culture is something that is pervasive, clearly. And I say it's pervasive because of the fact that um, this is how these are, there are standards that are set, right? And once those standards are set, they are expected, while, mo- while they don't all operate the same way, they are expected to act on these particular standards. And it... it ends up in a situation or could end up in a situation like what we saw in Tennessee, mm-hmm. right? Which is something that we do not want. No, absolutely anywhere. not. Anywhere. We nope. certainly don't want it here in Tampa. Um, that's a concern. That is a very big concern. That hurt my heart. It hurt every uh, everybody's heart. Uh, exactly. I, I, uh, I mean... Okay, so here we are again, back at you know, you, you get what I'm saying. We're mm-hmm. back at this again. Yeah. Not that it, not that it ever stopped because it, it, it's happened in other places. It's mm-hmm. just that this one, once again, here's a situation that's even worse. Why? Because we're seeing five black cops, five black police officers who did this to a black man. So you know. We don't have to dig far to feet. We we can, you know we can dig into the psychological concepts of what happened and everything else if we want to. But the bottom line is there is a there is a culture. There's a cultural standard clearly from the top down because that's how it, it works. It's not this isn't this isn't a, a, a democracy that we're dealing with. These are, there are orders being being made. There are standards being being determined from the top down as to how to act on the streets. And, and there are laws in place yeah. as well with qualified immunity and LEOBOR, Law Enforcement Officer Bill of Rights, which gives yes. them... Which, which gives them the ability <laughs> to duck uh, being being subpoenaed mm-hmm. by a by, by citizen review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
a citizen review board, right? They What's have the extra, extra protections that regular people don't have. That's a problem, man. What, what do we well, do? Well, actually, um, you know, right now we do have a problem because we're on our fourth police chief in 12 months. That's unheard of. And and that that is, I think, the the, the issue that we need to deal with first because... <clears throat> They seem to want to duck that. They seem to not want to face that point. No, because because as you said, there's rules, there's all of this, but it all, as you clearly said, it starts with the top. And when you when you have now a fourth way that that something needs to be done, even though there's all these rules, there there's um, there's nuance, right. and it depends on who's running the department. And right now. Um, we have an interim chief who's been with um, Tampa Police Department for a long time, uh, <clears throat> and I've I've sat down. We've had coffee. We we talk, and he said that you know he wants to continue what was what's been going on um, that Chief O'Connor brought, but at the same time, he's not going to do it in the exact same way, even though he's an interim. So right now, we don't we don't have a community that knows what to do. We don't have officers that necessarily know what to do. We don't have staff that knows what to do. We're we're in a position where we're where we're waiting to find out who the next police chief is going to be. And the mayor has said that she's not going to start that search until after city council races are done. So that's going to be May. Um before the search starts, it could be an it could be a national search. Um uh, it's well I got well give give her credit for that one. <laughs> At least, at least he's waiting until after the, you know, after the the races, so that we'll have something that's more permanent. Um, you oh, know, absolutely. In terms of city council in place, yeah. and we know, you know, who's going to be in there and where they stand on these on these particular things. Um, I I just I, I have a real problem with this, and I think I think it's incumbent upon us as citizens mm-hmm. to make certain that we are uh, vocal. Absolutely. Again, again, vocal about what we mm-hmm. need and what needs to be put in place in order for us to trust what's about to happen. I completely agree. And so the thing that I'm asking for more than anything is an openness to the process in terms of um, with with Chief O'Connor's um, appointment, there were there was one meeting that had all three candidates one of them couldn't attend because his father had passed and he was at a funeral right. and only certain community members were invited. It was not open to the public. And it was it was super fast. There was a lot of dissension because the community as a whole knew one candidate, knew Butch Delgado and felt comfortable with him uh, or more so comfortable. And but But the point being, we didn't get a chance because I wasn't on council yet. I was... Just uh, you know, a, a yeah. neighborhood activist, and we didn't get a chance to get to know uh, the 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 um, the folks who were running for that, who were in the final. So we absolutely we need a lot it, to to build the trust back. We're going to need a lot of conversation. So here, here's a question. That's a very good point. Use the word running. Here's a question, guys. So I'm asking this to the state and and the rest of the forum. Should we have a race for police chief? Or should we have appointments that are determined by counsel in the mirror? Hmm. Thoughts? That's a good question. I mean, 
sheriffs are usually elected, and I don't know if we get any better quality candidates or sheriffs. Right. So, elections. yeah, I'm from Jacksonville, and Jacksonville is a one county, one city, so it's a bit structured differently. It doesn't have a police department. It only has a sheriff's department. And our with Tampa Bay Community Action Committee, it has a sister chapter in uh, Jacksonville, and they find that it's very hard to get things done because they... Um, because of just the, the culture of Jacksonville and with the sheriff um, being elected and hold on, let me let me backtrack here. It's just a lot different for them because they don't have a our civilian re review board of the police. They need to get that in action before anything can happen. So, yes, having a democratically elected police chief or sheriff's officer would be incredibly helpful because then the people ha get to decide who's in charge of their community, but it won't be helpful if there's no accountability or oversight in place for it. Right. And right. how much has TPD really been restructured or rearranged in the last year and a half to avoid federal investigations like the renting while black, like biking while black, which ended up saying, the biking while black said, TPD that policy was racist. So how much has TPD been restructured, been reorganized to make sure that officers mm. don't carry out racist policies? Because, mm -hmm. yes, it is their job to do what they